as Dan mentioned, so some of you know me, I don't know if you know this, I work downtown in an office building, and it, it seems totally normal when I'm there. It seems like a, a normal environment, there's people working and typing and phones ringing, and this seems like a normal atmosphere. Uh, and then every once in a while, uh, you get kind of a magic mirror type of effect, and you get to see the place a little bit differently than you do when it's your everyday job. Uh, and frankly, I've had some of those lately, and the place looks absurd. It's an absurd looking place. For example, I noticed that my office building very much looks like Pac-Man. Like there's, there's half walls everywhere and there's all kinds of people like darting in and out and I need something and somebody follows me and they ask me why I took it. Things like that. So it's like a real weird setup. And, and then of course once you see that, then you can't help but like look at everybody that way when they're walking around and it's distracting. So it's weird. Um, I also realized that I look in the same general direction every day, all day. So, so I, my, let's see, about right here, okay, this, okay, the computer's here, and then the phone, and then the, uh, my coffee probably over here left. Uh, and and, and there, there aren't very many jobs besides office work where you can face the same way all day. Uh, so if you happen to be, you know, working or living or about north by northwest of the downtown area and you feel like someone's staring at you, that's this guy right here. I've been doing it all day, and I was doing it the day before. Okay? I am facing the same general direction all day, every day. Um, I also, uh, in, in the head movement, I said, I, so I face this way, and then the phone rings, or I grab my coffee. I have the head range of a pelican. You know, just like, just, just very small range of motion. It's an absurd situation. It you don't notice uh, until something else happens. Um, also, what I found, I don't know how expensive those half-inch gray plastic is in these bathroom stalls, but, but they never finish them, right? The stalls are always connected, but there's always like a little sliver of space everywhere. It must be pricey. Uh, and, and of course, your, your mind takes over and your body takes over and you're sitting there going about your affairs and then someone comes in and you, you find, you're looking through this little sliver and you can't help it. And you're like, I wish I hadn't have done that, but you did. Uh, and then of course, there's mirrors everywhere. So the guy that just walked in noticed that you did that. <laughs> And now he's looking under the stall at your feet to try to, because this is why you've got to be careful if you're going to wear flamboyant shoes because people can pick that out. And then they regret having done that. It's an awkward situation. The whole thing is absurd. Um, so it's kind of in this, yeah, here we go, it was kind of in this context. Um, you notice things like that, I think, what is, what is going on here? I, is this where God wants me in this kind of weird atmosphere of staring in the same place and looking through cracks inside the bathroom things and... Uh, moving my head left and right every once in a while. Like, is this where God wants me? So the question, and this has been going on for, I've been working at an office building for quite a while. It's been about eight years. And so I would say it's a good twice a week. It occurs to me to say, what, what does God want with me here? Is this where I belong? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing for God? Um, could I be doing something else with my life? And so I got to thinking, um, the overall question is, 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 how do I ensure that I'm making the most of my opportunities for God? How do I know that I'll be up to the task? And how do I know whether I'm doing the right thing? And so, you know, one of the things that I figured out is, is beyond recognizing what that is, the, the first thing that we have to get straight is we have to ensure that to make the most of our opportunities, we have to be willing to do so. We have to be willing. God will not force us to do anything. Um, just as believing him in him and following him is voluntary, so is making yourself available to be used by him. The Bible gives us many examples of God working through the willing. And in the Old Testament, uh, we find the prophet Isaiah. 
And this starts Isaiah uh, chapter 6, starting verse 8. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. Uh, flying torso is the way I think of it, because they got the head and, and the legs and just, just flying around. So it's like a stomach with wings. And they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. So Isaiah kind of sees this vision of God. He's the flowing robes and the sixth wing and the, the flying stomachs and the, uh, there's fire and there's smoke, hot coal. There's a lot of stuff going on. His first reaction, appropriately enough, is, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. And the angel touches his mouth with the coal says, Your guilt is taken away. And the Lord says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You, know, you think of this, we think, kind of put Old Testament things and we think of them in a certain vein. Like, wild stuff happens in the Old Testament. We're like, yeah, 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 Old Testament, sure. God shows up, fires and angels and crazy stuff, and we're cool with it. But think about this situation for you today. If this, this were to happen to you, you see this, what are your options? And, you know, Isaiah was in the same situation. He could have done a number of things. The first thing he could have done is he could have called it a dream and walked away. I don't know, that seems easy enough. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in that picture. Okay, the smoke and the angels and the stomachs and all that. I mean, there's a lot going on. He said, look, this is a dream. I'm envisioning this. I'm too much Robitussin, whatever. He's he's heading out, okay? He could have insisted upon being ruined and indulging in his woe. I kind of get that perspective too. Let's say I don't think it's a dream. I agree that this is the Lord standing in front of me. I'm ruined. I I don't have any right to sit here. I mean, no matter what goes on, I'm going to have trouble getting past the fact that I'm unworthy and I'm sitting here in this situation. Okay? But he didn't do that. He could have waited for someone else to volunteer. I could see that too. Surely the Lord doesn't want me. You know, whom shall I send? Anybody over there? No. Now, see, he's in a bad spot because he's the only guy, as far as we know. So he really can't look around. It's either him or nobody, and that's a tough call. But he's willing. He says, here am I, send me. And that's an exclamation point. He's not saying, I'll I'll do it. Okay, he's saying, send me. This is me, I'm willing to go. And he's probably scared out of his mind. He just took a hot coal to the face. I'm not sure there's a situation in which you feel like you can make a rational distinction. Um, So he's probably scared out of his mind. He also doesn't know where he's going. He says, whom shall I send? doesn't say, whom shall I send to X to do this? Whom shall I send to do this? Just who shall we send? Who will go for us? It says, here am I. Regardless of the situation that put Isaiah in the path of the Lord's request, he was there and was willing to respond. There's another story. If you look in the New Testament, um, the story of Zacchaeus, and this starts in Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's look at what we know about Zacchaeus. First of all, he was a tax collector. This is not a popular position to be in. He's collecting taxes on behalf of the very government that people are hoping Jesus has come to overthrow. Okay? Um, and tax collectors work off a commission. Uh, the more you collect, the more you make. What does the text say about Zacchaeus? He was wealthy. This, this is not a popular position to be in. He is wealthy off the backs of his fellow man. No one is clearing the way for the short guy to get through and take a peek at Jesus. And I, I like to think of him as looking like this. <laughs> kind of like, so you see the tree? Okay. So he, so he shimmies up this tree. I don't think that's in the biblical. It's just a characterization of what went on. Um, I don't think there's a Greek for shimmy. So he shimmies the tree and he peers out to see Jesus. And Jesus calls to him to come down and says, I must stay at your house today. And in Luke it says, he came down and welcomed him gladly. This is kind of an awkward deal. Zacchaeus came because he was curious, which I understand, uh, and would have likely heard what was being said about who Jesus was. And if this was the Christ that was being talked about, Zacchaeus would have been aware that his actions as a tax collector would not have been seen very favorably. Um... So, but he welcomes Jesus gladly. And Zacchaeus stands up and says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is quite the turn of events for him in a pretty short amount of time. Uh, he's a wealthy guy. He's got a pretty comfortable job. Um, he's got a little bit of power to him. We said he's the chief tax collector. Uh, but like Isaiah, he's recognized that this situation has put him in the path of the Lord. And he was willing to change. He was willing to respond to that situation. And we need to be open, available, and willing to move for God. And sometimes that's difficult. Uh, Our lives contain structure. They contain plans, uh, safety, confidence in decisions that we've made. And it's tough to move from those. Um, and, and I'm not just talking about big things either. Sometimes we think, you know, in these two examples, it's whom shall I send? The Lord is with you is saying, whom will go for us, right? Um, and, and here it's, it's Zacchaeus is having to pretty much move his whole life around. He's, I'm not sure he gets to keep his job after this deal. Um, not everything is that way. In fact, the vast majority of the stuff that we walk into, our willingness to be open to God, is our everyday interactions, okay, our small things. Um, so our lives contain that structure, safety, and confidence, and, we, and, and we, sometimes we're hesitant to move from those. Or sometimes we're scared of making the wrong move, so we don't move at all. We feel like God is moving us one way or another. We see something, we pray on it, we get comfortable with it, and we don't move. We figure, well, I, I don't know if I can be trusted with that decision. I don't know if I can get comfortable with this. I'm, I'm scared of moving the direction that I think I'm supposed to go. But again, it's not grandiose. We, we can work on a minor level. On a, on a be willing basis, I mean, start with today. Are you willing to be different, willing to follow or change, you know, to be different when you leave the service from when you came here? Are you willing to be different today than you were yesterday, next week than you were this week? Okay? Small changes, small bounce of willingness bring on big change in your life and reveal your willingness to follow Christ. Ultimately, what we want to know is, do your plans leave room for what God may want to do in your life? Are you focused so much on your own goals that you are, in effect, unwilling to pursue what God desires for your life? Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. We, um, Mike, Dan, and I do a radio show on Monday nights on DesMoinsAmplified.com called Life from the Path. And um, this came about, uh, Mike and Dan had been on another guy's show one time. And after they were done, the host of that show said, you know, would, are you guys willing to do, would you like to do a radio show? I don't, no one really aspired to be on the radio. It's never been like a lifelong dream to do radio work. We don't really have cool voices. We're not that interesting. Okay? But we said, yeah, whatever. That sounds great. We'll do it. 
Okay? It's been awesome. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more of that um, later on. Um, but it, there was just a willingness to say, yeah, you know what? We'll give this a shot. This could be the way to go. Let's try it. Or we could have said, you know, I don't do radio work. We don't really talk about doing radio work. This doesn't sound like a lot of fun. We'll just, uh, we're out. I'm uncomfortable being on the radio. Okay? It was just a willingness to move. God will use you, but you do have to be willing. Um, don't misunderstand me. Being willing is not an easy thing. One of the great mistakes we can make is acknowledging who God is, but being unwilling to respond to him. Sooner or later, everyone will acknowledge who God is. We know that. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. When this whole thing wraps up, there's not going to be a soul that can say, I don't acknowledge that there is a God and he is who he says he is. But the question is, did we follow him? Were we willing Jesus discusses this in the parable of the great feast or the great banquet starting in Luke chapter 14 uh, verse 16. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This parable gives us an image of God's people who have accepted the invitation to follow Christ, or in this case, go to the banquet. But when the time comes, they can't seem to make it. In truth, they're unwilling to make it. They're unwilling, probably more specifically, to give up what it is that they were going to do to do the thing that they said they would do. They uh, recognized the, situa- the invitation. They accepted the invitation. Okay? That's why he's coming to give them. You said you would come. Okay? They recognized the invitation. They recognized what they said they would do, but they're ultimately not willing. One guy can't make it because he just bought a field. I've been in a field recently. I'm not sure it's worth skipping the banquet to go take a look at. It'll still be there tomorrow. Okay? The next guy bought five yoke of oxen. Now, that's a pretty big purchase for a guy in those days. And, uh, but it's, is it more important at that instant to try them out than to respond to the invitation to the great banquet? Uh, the last guy says, I just got married, so I can't come. I don't know. That one seems a little bit more familiar. Uh, you guys want to go to the game on Saturday? Uh, my wife, um, I'm married. I don't know. I sympathize with that guy a little bit more. Um, the master at the end of the parable, he's still wrong. The master at the end of the parable has the servant start, grab, start grabbing people from everywhere. This is my favorite part of this. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. He wants a full house. He wants to cram them in, so many as possible, so that everybody can enjoy the banquet. But we have to be willing. We have to be willing to respond to the invitation. At the very end, the master says, I tell you, not one of those who are invited, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's not enough to just accept the invitation. You've got to be willing to go. Uh, a couple of the quick examples. Um, even after being swallowed by a giant fish and vomited up on shore for refusing to go to Nineveh to warn them of God's impending judgment upon them, Jonah still had to accept the second request. Uh, a lot of times as a kid, I remember the story is uh, he got swallowed, he got spit out, and, and I got the image that he just kind of ran to Nineveh. Like, I'm, I won't ever do this again. Okay? But, but we say that it says in the Bible that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he had to ask him or tell him, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I gave you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Jonah still had to be willing to go. God is not forcing him to do it. Uh, the disciples kind of in the same boat. Both James and John in Matthew chapter 4 verse 21 says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, uh, and, and father and followed him. They left the old man in the boat. Zebedee is standing there holding the nets, and they're out. Okay? God crossed their path, asked them to do something, or brought, some, brought an opportunity to them. And they were willing to go. Uh, and coming off Christmas, let's look at Mary's reaction to Gabriel's news of Jesus. The angel answered, and this is Luke uh, chapter 1 verse uh, 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Again, God does not force us to believe in him. He does not force us to acknowledge his power or to accept his grace, and he does not force us to follow his commands. But as someone who does believe he is who he says he is, and who does acknowledge his power and accept his much-needed grace, we need to recognize that he asks us to follow his direction. But we have to be willing to do it. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and you're looking at me and saying, Ben, you know, of course God can use you. Uh, you're handsome. Uh, you're wildly charismatic. Uh, your cuticles are well filed. And, and gosh, you smell nice. But what about me? That's what you're saying. What can I do? I, I'm certainly willing, but uh, come on, look what God has to work with here. I hear you. Okay. But let's, let's try this. Okay. Finish this phrase. You have to be ready, willing, and able. Right? Okay. That's what usually goes there. Uh, but that's wrong. That's totally wrong. I'd, you guys give a terrible answer. In fact, we're going to throw that entire phrase out. And throw it out, you say. But Ben, that's impossible. It's a beloved phrase. Everybody uses it. I, I tattooed it on my arm and put it on my stationery. Why would you do this to me? You can't throw it out. It's impossible. But it can be done. Because we find in Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 26, that with man this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Even throwing out clever phrases that don't make sense in the Lord's service. Oh. All right. That last part is part of the original Matthew text. Um, but with... But with God, all things are possible. It doesn't say that with God, all things are possible if you're strong. It doesn't say with God, all things are possible if you are super intelligent or attractive or articulate or well-cuticled or you look dazzling in tweed or you go by a cool nickname like the Dan. Your willingness to do God's work makes you able. We are strong because God is strong. We are wise because God is wise. We persevere because he perseveres. Don't worry about being able. Okay? Remember the story of David and Goliath, a young shepherd. He's not battle-tested. This is not a rugged warrior. Uh, he declined to wear the armor of the king when he went to go face the Goliath because that's not where his strength is. And yet, even in those circumstances, he defeated the mighty Goliath. He was strong because God is strong. From a worldly perspective, his skills didn't match the task that he was uh, up to. Yet he succeeded. And look at the disciples. These weren't great men of knowledge or historians or orders. And just like David, from a worldly perspective, their skills did not match their task. I mean, whose skills could? These were mostly laborers, a lot of fishermen. But they were able to spread the gospel to many nations, lay the foundation for Christ's church, and provide inspired written record of Christ's life and teachings. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delete in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The power and the strength of God shines through our weaknesses. 
Because of this, as Paul discusses our weaknesses, our lack of talents, our apparent inability is irrelevant to our effectiveness as God's instrument. Uh, I talked about the, the radio show earlier. Um, so we've been, we've been broadcasting on this, on this radio show for, uh, I think it's about nine months now. And, and seriously, you could have asked around. Uh, we are not the appropriate folks to be filling two hours worth of time at whatever comes to your head. Um, you know, uh, Mike, Dan, and I, I mean, we, we do very little preparation. Like I said, we don't really have cool voices. Uh, we're not that articulate. Uh, you see my notes. It's, it's pretty much word for word up here. I can't be trusted to make stuff up on my own. Um, yet it's been a really awesome experience. We've met a, a ton of cool people. There's a lot of uh, local Christian bands that we've been able to um, kind of get involved with and, and, and talk to and help out and, and see what they're up to. And they're doing a lot of cool things. God's really using that for something very, very cool. Uh, and it's something that we could have said, one, uh, we don't do radio. I'm not sure what you're talking about. We're not going to do it. We also could have said, look, I, I have no talent for radio. I don't belong there at all. And great. It's, it's not a legitimate radio station. It's, it's internet radio. So before we think it too highly of it. But... Uh, but, but, it's, but it's still something where we could have easily said, you know what, we're not capable and uh, we don't, we've never done this before and we're out. Okay? But it's been a really cool experience. Um, and it shows that God can do something with you regardless of whether you think you're able to do it or not. Notice in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Notice Jesus isn't saying there will be no burden. He doesn't say come to me and you will have no burden. But the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And it's not light because we have become stronger. Okay? It's because we've allowed God's strength to be used through us. Paul talks in his letter to the Philippian church when discussing his ability to be content in all situations. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We do not have to be able because we know that God is able. We just have to be willing. This doesn't mean that God will not use certain skills we have or give certain specific abilities or talents or traits to further his kingdom. It means that the barrier to serving Christ is not what we can do or think we can do or wish we could do. It's our basic willingness to accede to God's strength and rely on him. You know, so at this point, a major part of being used by God uh, oops, is, is understand that we have to be willing. We have to be willing, willing to allow for the fact that God will change our lives, influence our circumstances, upset our structure maybe, or rearrange our plans as part of how he's using us. Allowing God to do that, being open to God working in your life, takes effort. Okay? We also know that we have to get beyond our perceived limitations. We need to recognize that God does not ask that we are able, just that we're available. As he has demonstrated through his people in the past, nothing is impossible to God, uh, which in turn means there's nothing impossible to us. When we're pursuing what God has asked us to do. We do have to be careful not to tell God how we can best utilize us or reject his calls because we believe he has made the wrong choice. Or selected the wrong person. He doesn't make wrong choices. Okay, we have to be open to that. Alright, so this is all good, right? But you're like, now what? So now what do I do? How do I know what God wants me to do? This is the, the $10,000 uh, question. If you're like me, you've, you've tried a number of different things. Um, I try the old uh, spin the globe methods. You, you guys used to do that when you were little. Or maybe today. Maybe you do it. I can see Dan doing it. Okay, spinning the globe and dragging your finger across it. You're like, I'm going to live here. And sooner or later, you, you learn to stop putting your finger in the southern hemisphere because you always end up in like South America somewhere where you don't want to be. Okay? So I, I did you know, spin the Bible. I tried this this week where you open it up and you like put your finger somewhere and you're like, here, God will speak to me today. Uh, so I tried this when I was writing this, uh, writing this up. And um, I ended up on Numbers 23, chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. I got a fat finger. Um, 
So, so here's what it is. It says, Balaam said, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Uh, Balak de- did as Balaam said, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. That's great. God wants me to kill bulls. I'm going to be a meat processor for Jesus. Uh, you can be a meat processor for Jesus. It's available. I'm not really feeling it. And my cuticles are too pretty for meat processing. So I, I, that one's not working for me. I've also tried what I like to call the Isaiah. Uh, and this is standing in some kind of open room or a field or an airplane hangar. Okay, and you open your arms wide and you close your eyes and you say, Here am I. Send me. And then you open your eye and you look around. And then you open your other eye and... Nothing's changed. You're still in an airplane hangar or a field or a room, standing with your arms out, looking pretty creepy. Okay? The Isaiah hasn't been all that effective for me either. It's not impossible. I'm just saying I haven't had it to work for me. Okay? Although it's not impossible, it is unlikely that you'll be sitting you know, in your living room in your underwear and find yourself suddenly tasked with a great journey for Christ. Okay? It's not likely. We can hear the voice of God... For this, in the same way we listen for him, for correction or other direction in our lives, through prayer and his word, the Bible. And we'll hit those in just a second. But let's be clear. It's unlikely that God is scripting your life. So be careful when we say, you know, what does God want from my life? That we don't dwell too much on the minor thing. I'm not sure he cares what kind of car you drive, what type of soda you drink, or how you part your hair. Okay? So it's just when, you're, when we're putting God to the task of trying to figure out his direction in your days. Yeah. That was me yesterday. I did the spray on stuff and I look better this morning. Okay? Just, just, just be careful on what we're listening for. Okay? Uh, let's look at the Bible. That's going to be distracting. This is going to be up there for a while. The Bible. Um, when we're looking for direction on what does God want me to do, we can be confident in God's consistency as demonstrated through the Bible. As such, we can certainly use the Bible as a filter for whether what we are considering is of God or is not. In 2 Timothy Uh, Chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul instructs Timothy, But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become conceived of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In this, again, we can be confident that God will use you in a way that is will not use in a way that is counter to the standard of living he has laid out in the Bible. This is the filter where things such as abortion clinic bombings, holy wars, and whatever random act of sinfulness for God's glory should stop dead in its tracks. Okay? We've, got a, we've got a guidebook to tell what we're considering is consistent with how God has asked us to behave. For God, the ends never justify the means. Consistent and attentive time spent with God's word makes you more adept at recognizing ways in which he is trying to use you to further his kingdom. Okay? So the Bible's a good post to kind of vet out what's going on in your life and whether it's consistent with God. But the second way of figuring out what God wants you to do is through prayer. And prayer is an intimate conversation with God and it allows you to reach out to him, kind of vet out your thoughts, concerns, hopes, you know, whatever. These intimate conversations with God also make you more attuned to hearing his response. Uh, in, in John chapter 10 verse 27 it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. But what does a response from God look like? What does it sound like? I think we all know what the answers could be. Yes, no, wait, later, that kind of thing. Okay? But what, is it, what does it look like? What does it sound like? Um, they can take many forms. The first one is a sense of peace. I, I experienced, experienced that within the last two weeks. Um, when Dan had asked me if I'd be interested in, in doing the message today, 
uh, this was at the, the Christmas Eve service, I, I said, no, no, mm, that's, I'm not comfortable with that. Like, I, I, I knew one was coming, I was in, planned to do one, but I was thinking like a three-month time frame. Like, give me some time, oh, I, I don't want to, you know, send someone in the wrong direction. I need like three months to go over it, pour it over again, read it 3,000 times, and then we'll go. Um, so I said, no. And then I went home and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, uh, maybe I could do that. I think maybe, I think maybe that's what I should be doing. Uh, and I prayed about it, and I prayed a lot that night. And I woke up the next morning, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. That was the time. Let's make it happen. I don't think I became more comfortable for having processed a bunch of stuff in my body at night. Um, I didn't have any dreams that would, I, I would suddenly wake up and say, yes, I'm supposed to do the message. Okay? But I was at peace with it that morning. And I sent an email to Dan and said, I'm in. Whatever it is, let's do it. Okay? Um, so, and that one I think is, is maybe, uh, for me, I find that's the most often. I most often hear from God through a sense of peace. I ask questions. I ask for directions. And I, I find peace uh, or urgency in one way or the other to where I want to go. There's other things. We can't dismiss the way God interacts with people in the Bible. There are signs. There are miracles. Okay, that does happen. It's, it's probably less likely. Um, but it's not, it's not, you know, unprecedented. Um, we can also find encouragement from the Bible. Just as the, if we have questions, a lot of times what I'll find is that I have questions. I've been praying on something. And then I will, I will be reading, just normal Bible reading. And suddenly I will see something I didn't see before. Okay? You know, previously we talked about the Bible being able to provide you direction on what God wants you to do with your life. And you can find a lot of general stuff. You know, make disciples, that kind of stuff. That's available in there. But something personal for me, a lot of times I'll be reading the Bible and, and it will stand out as an answer to a question I had that otherwise I didn't ask directly. Okay? That I've been praying on and that I find just in my general Bible reading comes out to me and that I find the answer for. Um, sometimes it'll be encouragement from a friend. You're praying on something and somebody shows up in your life. Maybe it's a friend you always see. Maybe it's someone you've never heard, you haven't heard from in a long time. Um, but they have advice or they have direction. That you feel confident and peaceful about after you receive it. Okay? You can get a direct answer from God. Uh, we saw Isaiah. He kind of got the old God treatment. Um, again, you know, it's, it, we can't say that it doesn't happen. I, I, don't, I can't say that I've, that I've had it. Um, but it, but it's not unprecedented. It's possible. God can answer in that way. We also, uh, what we also may see something as no response. Um, and here we kind of got to be careful. God hears all the prayers. He's able. Um, I'm not sure it says anywhere that he has to respond to them. Um, but sometimes we need to make sure what we're asking. Like if I, if I pray and say, Lord, you know, sh- you know, what should I do with my life? I'm not sure that's going to get answered in a very clear way. I'm not asking God a clear question. When he says, ask and you will receive, I think he's meaning specific things as opposed to, Lord, give me stuff. Send me somewhere. Okay? Um, so I would say you know, sometimes what we see is no response is perhaps we're not being we're not being clear with the question. And sometimes we don't even know what we're asking. And that's okay too. God, just sometimes prayer functions more as just a, a great conversation with God. Just as like you would have with a friend of yours. Okay? Or, or a relative or a parent or something. It's a perfect place to vet out those conversations. But if we're looking for answer to prayer, a lot of times we need to be focusing and looking for the opportunity for that answer. Looking to see how God will communicate with us. Overall, being used by God is very much a product of our willingness to be used. It's not dependent on our own abilities, but God's abilities. Um, we can verify if our direction is godly through prayer and Bible study. And again, despite the examples we looked at today, not everything is monumental. In fact, very little is monumental. Very few things have you sitting in your chair one day and then in Haiti building an orphanage the next day. Okay? Our opportunities for God, our willingness to follow, tend to be minor. I'll give you an example. Um, 
one of the things I realized is that in this office building, this absurd place that I work, um, I, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I've been blessed a ton this year simply by making sure that every morning when I walk in, I say, God, help me keep an eye out for any opportunity for you today. You know, is there somebody that needs your help? Is there somebody that needs my direction from you? Okay, that needs you know, assistance or whatever. Help me keep my eyes open for opportunity for you. I'm willing. That's helped me a ton this year. That's a, that's a, it's, a, it's a little thing. It's a little thing that impacts my daily life that I'm willing to do. And that I, I, I pray for strength to be willing to do throughout the day. Not everything has to change your life. Okay? But I would say that the little things do change your life. Okay? The willingness to do the little things ultimately make large changes in your life, in your direction, in your walk with Christ. And, and I think we can take solace in the fact that God says, whatever your work is, do it gladly. Do it as you could, as you would do it unto the Lord and not for the people. And that's in Colossians chapter 3, verse, 20, uh, verse 27. As you leave today, I would encourage you to be confident in the fact that God can and does use anyone. And that he is more concerned about our attitude and availability than our ability. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, God talking to the people of Israel says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Keep your eyes open. Be willing to follow. And it will happen. Let's pray.